So welcoming uh, Anagarika Shirley. Very noble thing to do. Dedicate one year to uh, live by the eight precepts, train. There's an opportunity to uh, respect and cherish in your life because such opportunities are not all that common in the world and in a society, a situation where there's so many distractions and and uh, things, uh, kind of pressures and stress. And then to live a life of the brahmacharya, celibate life, uh, relinquishing your rights to do what you want, freedom and and uh, so forth, to live your life on your own terms, submitting yourself to living in uh, the Sangha and the uh, restraint and uh, attitude that lends itself towards the liberation. Because this is not about institutionalizing anyone or converting, but it's uh, about giving the opportunity for liberation, making so that the, the aim to, for you to see the path of liberation yourself. And this, I think, is the most important emphasis. This is, the, this is what I'm really interested in myself and what I value and like to give opportunities to others for this kind of insight uh, and opportunities, occasions such as taking precepts uh, and so forth to make some form of commitment because usually our lives are so distraught with duties and responsibilities and activities and distractions that it, uh, we have to contain ourselves, put ourselves into a, a, a less uh, uh, free form in order to awaken, to be really free. And that's the irony of monastic life. You think it, it's like um, going to a prison where you, you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to live by precepts, be careful of your speech, can't drink or dance or do all the things that, that uh, people do when they think they're free, freedom to do, say, uh, uh, whatever is what I feel like or expressing my individuality and myself to live in a monastic form that contains us and doesn't offer us this occasion to just do what we want but to reflect. So this uh, word reflection <coughs> ability that we have 
to observe, to be the spectator of our own fate, to be the observer of the show of the, that goes on inside our minds rather than being the participator, the, the person, the personality caught in the program. And most people are caught in the program. And they believe they are this person this, uh, with these conditions and rights and freedoms and views and opinions and feelings. And then the aim of the Samana life <coughs> is to see, a, see this as conditioned phenomena, seeing it for what it is, not to judge it, not, it's not for judgment or identity or for destruction, but to observe the puto, the spectator, the observer, the knower of the world. So that's the, the kind of magic of this life is, uh, is, is a magical form where you, it's a simple imminent awakened state of observing. It's not about attaining and achieving, becoming, getting rid of, controlling, but observing. <coughs> and so the way, you know, the form itself, the Anagarika precept, eight precept, is, is a restraint on action and speech in order to observe, to make your life more simple, less complicated. <coughs> because uh, most people's lives are very complicated with all the uh, opportunities and that for, and, and the way the society is at this time, the society that uh, endless distractions and pressures and, and views and opinions uh, impress uh, themselves on our consciousness and we get very confused by it. So the, let's see the eight precepts, the three refuges, the eight precepts, is like a surrender, uh, giving yourself up to this restraint. So taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is, is uh, you know, that's your refuge now, not in any person or, uh, you know, the Sangha here is a symbol for Sangha, not the Sangha itself. So you're, you're taking refuge in the Sangha, but the real Sangha isn't a group of monks or nuns, it's the Supatipano, Ujupatipano, those who practice in the right way. So the Sangha, as it, uh, you know, the conventional Sangha, monastic Sangha, is a symbol for that Sangha. It's a reminder how to use it when you see us to see me or the monks or the nuns, other anagarikas and so forth, just see it. It's a reminder, not of who you are and, and uh, what you think, but of this, this determination to see through the illusoriness, the illusory world that we create and, and believe in and participate in, the, in these delusions. So the the Buddha Rupa in the temple here, the, the figure of Lungpa Cha, recently finished shrine for Ajahn Cha. Uh, we're going to 
have uh, photos of Ajahn Man and Lung Po Chow on the shrine here. They're the kind of father figures of this tradition. And, uh, and so these are, of course, they're monks, they're, they're archetypes. So see the Buddha Rupa as a remind you of Puto to be aware. <coughs> and I've trained myself over the years that, that 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 particular form, that iconic form of the Buddha image, uh, you know, just training myself to, uh, when I see it, go into the silence. So, I, you know, so there's just a way of, of developing, of cultivating not thinking about whether I, you know, aesthetically or whatever, or having any views or opinions I might have on the aesthetic level of Buddha images, that even even not very attractive Buddha images still work, because the aim say, the aim is is not to is not for aesthetics but for awareness. Then when you you see the the summoners, the monks and nuns, the nagarikas, then you think, there's that person, that monk, that nun, they're like this, she's like that, he's this way, his name, her name, I like this one, I don't like that one. <laughs> and that's the worldly mind, but, uh, you know, seeing the, the form, the, the monastic form, <coughs> as a reminder for supatipano, whether you think I'm practicing a good practicer of meditation or have any realization of Dhamma or not is not the point. It's not about me, but the the form, the shaven head, the robe and so forth. This is this is not about personalities or whether you like anyone or think that they have attained or realized or have not done it all, you know, haven't anything at all. Those are personal views. So it's like a, a changing from worldly values where we see each other in personal preferences. Uh, you know, so we have views and opinions, likes and dislikes, uh, loves and hates uh, about each other that we believe in, you know, the, our own views or memories, experiences of the past, uh, prejudices, biases, preferences, and all this are not there to be recognized, but not grasped. So this being the spectator is observing your own reactions to the individuals, but no longer grasping that and believing it and operating from this force of habit. So this, say the, this tradition here, its forms, its icons, its ceremonies are for awakening, for reminding the big problem is we forget. <coughs> and we get caught, you know, we have the, the world, the illusory world that we create is the world we think is real. Uh, we think our feelings are reality. My view is, is, the, is the right view. Or my feelings or my uh, opinions are right or better than yours. I could be orthodox. I could be, you know, a, a real patriot, a zealot, a fundamentalist, uh, uh, a gung-ho Buddhist monk. 
uh, dyed-in-the-wool conservative orthodox Theravadan bigot, whatever. <laughs> but even if I am all those terrible things, that's not the point, is it? It's not about me personally or what you think, but this this form, you see the robe, the shaven head, I mean, one can't do that at first, but it, it's uh, it's an encouragement. It's not like I'm not commanding you to do so, but an encouragement to use the the this temple, these forms, uh, the things around you for awakened awareness, for reflecting. So then this is using the awakened consciousness. And the, this particular tradition, the Pali tradition, Theravada Buddhism, it's um, the language we use, the concepts we use, they are conventions. So they recognize that they're not perfect in themselves, they're, they're pointing at perfection. In themselves they're conventions. So if just grasped as an end in themselves, we end up with another convention. You know, so that's why we're not trying to become Buddhists or or become Theravadan Buddhists or to spend our time, you know, questioning the validity of it, but to waken, to use the, the convention for what it was meant to be used for. What did the Buddha intend when he established the Dhamma What was the purpose of that? You know, so then we, was it to control, manipulate, or convert, or, or was it for awakening and a convention that could be not just die out when the, the historical Buddha the ascetic Gotama that was enlightened 2,552 years when he passed away, if there was no, you know, if it was just him, uh, his teachings would have been lost, nothing to carry it on, onward, from one generation to the next. So this is what tradition is. It's handing down from the past, from, say, from the original, from the Lord Buddha, uh, and then the tradition carries that. It's a, it's a form in itself. It's not, it's not, you know, it's to be respected but not grasped. So this is, this is the challenge we all have is how to use forms, conventions, language, the whole lot, the conventional world for awakened awareness, for enlightenment. That's another word. Some people, you know, what is enlightenment and can anyone get enlightened? Uh, people ask me if Ajahn Chah was enlightened. Uh, some of you probably wonder whether I'm enlightened or some of you are probably sure that I'm not enlightened. <laughs> but this is not about me or you but, uh, or about some view about enlightenment, isn't it? What, what does it mean? What does the English word enlightenment mean? And so it's about light, isn't it? 
It's not about somebody, a personality that becomes an enlightened person, but it's switching on the light. And so this is, uh, you know, it's not about being converted through the form, become, becoming a samana, and suddenly the magic of the robe and the shaven head will, will enlighten you. One can still remain in darkened and stupid and ignorant by remaining within the form but not using it. Or maybe you're using the form in a stupid way. You know, like you could use it, the, you know, to uh, clean your fingernails with or worship pictures and and pray to deities and and see all you know see it in, in the in the kind of like projections uh, outward, where the whole point of mindfulness is inward, isn't it? It's looking, observing not the world uh, as we experience it outwardly, but how we create the world. And that world then is is the the world that my, my thoughts, my views, my opinions, my emotions. How I see my body, how I attach and, and identify with my appearance, with my age, with my gender, with my position. That could be all the world that I live in, me as this Buddhist monk. Or seeing that world is seeing it in terms of what it really is. The body is what it is. It's nothing, not, you know, not trying to say I don't have one or there's anything wrong with it. It is like this. And so this awareness, this enlightened attention. So sati sampachanya, sati panya, these Pali words, <coughs> you know, they're not just beautiful sounding words, but they're actually reminding us to to pay attention, to be awake, be the awakened, be the puto, not try become someone who's trying to become a Buddha or a Sotapanna or an Arahant. That when we do that, then we're back into the Sakayaditi problems again. I've got, I want to hopefully become a, a stream enterer before I die. Is, uh, might be a noble aspiration, but it's still Sakyaditi. You know, it's based on the illusion that I'm somebody that should become something in the future. And what we see as Sotapan or a stream enterer as, a, as an attainment, a personal attainment, like getting a bachelor's degree from Oxford. And maybe Arahant is PhD from Cambridge. <laughs> That's the worldly mind, isn't it? You know, attainment, achievement. Also see that the, the summoner life is about relinquishing. It's totally different from the world. The world is all about attaining and achieving, getting, progress, making things better and better, better and better about controlling.
desire to attain enlightenment. And when you see, if I, if I, I want to become enlightened, that is sakyaditi. But observing that, say, say, if I suddenly have this thought, I want to become enlightened, and the observing of that, that's the spectator's position. The puto, seeing this, this thought, this feeling, I want to become enlightened, is, it is what it is, it's a thought, it arises and ceases. So you think it's, a, it's very, it's subtle, but it's very simple. It's learning to trust that in yourself which is aware, not, not what you think or, you know, your, your views, analytical views or psychological views about yourself or anything, but in, in learning to trust this, re- the reality of awareness, recognizing it, being the puto, the knower, of the Dhamma, because then I want to become enlightened, is seeing it in terms of sankhara, all conditions are impermanent, the pay and cha. That's an honest reflection, because that's true. <coughs> the thought, I want to become enlightened, is, it is what it is, it's a thought, it's a good thought, nothing wrong with it, not judging it, but it is a thought. And thoughts are sankharas. That's why you can't trust them. So you you learn to find your refuge and trust in your awareness, not in what you think <coughs> or what somebody else thinks. So uh, the aim then is to really, every you know, use this this form, this place, this situation, make it work for you. You know, you can't of a, condi- a traditional form, a convention, it is what it is. So it's nothing in itself. No matter how beautiful or, you know, uh, delicate, refined it might be, it has, it doesn't have the spark. It's not enlightened. You can't make a tradition enlighten you, but you can use a tradition with awareness. And so that is that refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, see it as you internalize it so that you these words when you chant Bhutang Sarnangachami is not just perfunctory chanting or Buddhist ceremonies, but it really contemplate how you how you use this Bhutto, this Buddha, word Buddha. Saranang is like refuge. Take refuge in Buddha, in some, in Buddha Rupa, or take refuge in some vague kind of Buddha thing that you project outwardly. There's a kind of Buddha energy, I think, you know. Sometimes I feel it's a, a Buddha magnetism in the world, uh, that I take refuge in, but I'm not quite sure. <laughs> People do that. I hear that all the time, you know. So, <laughs> it's not like that. It's it's uh, recognizing it's reality. It's real. It's not vague kind of airy fairy kind of speculations or or moods that depend on you know feeling a certain way. 
So then you, you know, you begin, once you recognize it and, and then trust it. It's not, this is what I'm always saying now, just trying to get people to, <coughs> to adore this in yourself, to really respect this, not your personality about self-respect and, and, and that kind of thing that the world considers, you know, having a, a being worthy of respect by others and, and, and having a personality that uh, people like and respect. And it's not about trying to make yourself as a person worthy of respect. It's about respecting reality that you, that's your true nature. But you, you may have forgotten, you may have, you know, have, think something else is your true nature. So what is true? You know, people, uh, Ajahn Chah, you know, used to question me sometimes about what, what in your personality, what about yourself do you want to last forever and ever? For eternity? It was like a self-investigation, self-inquiry. What do I want? Do I want my, the body? Do I want this body for eternity? No. <laughs> I'm tired of it already, actually. <clears throat> but then, then do I want this, this uh, personality that I have? I can't see anything in my personality that I want for eternity. Even the good things. Or my feelings or ideals. You know, you don't know how much I've suffered from ideals. How unhappy my idealism has made me in this life. Because uh, Americans were very idealistic. So we 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 want all the best, you know, the best that you can possibly create with ideas and and then feel always disappointed in, in myself because I can't be as good as I as my ideals say I should be. In any society I've lived in, any monastery, it never lives up to the ideal of what I really want and think is the best. You'll never find any monastery anywhere on this planet that will completely satisfy you on the ideal level. What do I, you know, what is there that I would want to, for, to last forever and I couldn't find anything? So then I think, you're just an annihilationist. That's what you are, Sumato. You just, you just, uh, I want out of this. I want out, bye-bye, cruel world kind of thing. But, or in terms of Dhamma, you know, this aparuta desang amatasa tawara, the gate to the deathless is open. This fascinates me, this one statement. The deathless. Or the, you know, the nibbana, enigmatic word, isn't it? Or if if there's nothing, you know, on the self that I want to take, then anatta, does it mean just a, a void of nothing? You mean a kind of void of absence of everything? Or what? 
is it? And so in my own investigation in the, of this uh, conundrum, of this inquiry, it's this, this awareness. Because as you begin to recognize it and cultivate it, then you see the end of the world, all these conditions, the self, the, the, the things, the fears, worries, anxieties, uh, jealousies, uh, greed, lust, delusion of any sort. You, see, you can actually, as a spectator, begin to see that, that they cease. And there's this ability, when you let things go, when you relinquish, then to recognize the amatadhamma, the gate to the deathless. And then this chant, the unconditioned, atibhikave ajatang aputang akatang asankatang, this, this one is uh, one of my favorite reflections. The, the, the Buddha saying, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Now this is a fact. He's saying, he's not saying, well I think, you know, that there's something called the unborn, uncreated. And uh, people have talked about it. And, um, you know, you can't, you can't know it directly. You can't make images. But I believe in the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It's not that. To me, this, uh, this thing, ati, ati is there is. So it's a, it's a fact, it's, it's a statement of fact, it's not a metaphysical specula- speculation. So what is it then? And then, then of course, the gate to the deathless, mindfulness path to the deathless and so forth, everything begins to fit in. You see it for yourself, the, the script, the suttas, the teachings of Buddha, the paticca samuppada, all these the Abhidhamma, all these things will fit in. They, they come together at this point. Where on an intellectual level, they'll just take you off into speculation, doubt, uncertainty. Trying to read Abhidhamma before you have any insight. It's just, just clutter up your mind with concepts. You know, trying to figure out what does this mean, that, and that, and that, and that. And how does this relate to this and this and that. And, you know, you'll drive yourself crazy. Have a nervous breakdown trying to figure that one out from an unenlightened a mind without insight into Dhamma. As you have more insight, more confidence, then even these teachings, be, you know, they're helpful, they're, but they're not meant to complicate and clutter but they're ways of observing the same thing. And what, what, is the, what is it we observe? What is it that the puto knows that the personality doesn't know? What is it that the Buddha knows where the person doesn't? And so this word Buddha knows Dhamma. But then we think Dhamma is the Tripitaka, the Tripitaka, you know. So if we memorize the Tripitaka, that's not it. <laughs> Those are words again. It's, it's this, this reality, 
there, there is the unborn, unformed, unconditioned. And now, when I, when I just make that statement, inwardly think that there is, I'd say, ati bhikkhuwe ajatang aputang, because I've used that for so many years, immediately it's like this, this is, this is the real, this is not just speculative, amorphous thinking um, and belief, it's real, it's, uh, it's true. It's the end of suffering. But still, recognizing the unborn, you still have to deal with the resultant karma of your life. That's old age, sickness, death, <laughs> and the vipaka karma that we personally have. You know, we all have old age, sickness, and death for the future. That's the vipaka of being born. That's not so personal. That's just, you know, that's what we all have to look forward to. Old age, sickness, weakness, senses fade, and death. But then, also we have our own unique vipaka karma, which means the karma we've made, uh, you know, that, we have, that we'll experience till the death of this body. So this is, you know, the whatever the the thinking process, the emotional habits, the the uh, what you have to experience from now till you till the death of your body. Whether it's the praise or blame, good fortune, bad fortune, success, failure, wealth or poverty, or whatever, it doesn't matter anymore. You know, that's no longer important to us. That's important only on a personal level, isn't it? To be praised and be successful and and that is uh, is about what I want personally. But if I let go of that personal desire, see through it, then there's this. The deathless, the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And then whatever happens, uh, then that's vipaka kamma. And so one sees it in terms of dhamma rather than in terms of personal uh, qualities. Now let's take the determined determination, because uh, from speaking from experience. It, uh, continuous determination to make it work, no matter what happens. Don't you know? No, don't ask for an easy ride. Thinking becoming a monk or a nun is a is an easy ride to get you out of out of everything. <laughs> it's it's not. I mean, you're more or less compelled to look at things that you might never want to see if you if you weren't uh, in a situation where it was, you know, where it was really where you were reminded constantly of this of this path. So it's, uh, you know, learning from life, you know, the successes and failures we experience, uh, the praise and blame that we experience, uh, 
the health or uh, good health or bad health that we experience in the body. The changing conditions around us, what we see, you know, can be beautiful and lovely or ugly or nasty or hear uh, lovely sounds or noise, cacophony, whatever. You know, the senses, we still have to live with these senses and they work, you know, the, so they pick up both the beautiful and the ugly, the, the melodious and the cacophonous the fragrance and the stenches and all the rest. It, this is this is Vipaka Kama, having a human body, a sense form, having eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, retentive memory. Now I have, a very, I have good memory. So I can remember all kinds of things. And uh, I notice that um, as you get older, sometimes the... You know, if I just had this memory to live with, my uh, at my age it would be pretty grim, I think. Because memories are make you sentimental, make you want to, oh, I, I wish I were, you know, young again, or uh, if you're in bad health, I wish I were strong and healthy, or... Uh, you know, things are going, not going very well. People uh, don't like you very much. I want, to, I want to go somewhere where I'm really liked and appreciated and that kind of thing. We, you know, we, we, we want the pleasant and, the pa- and avoid the painful. This is natural on a personal level. You know, you've got a rather perverted personality if you just love the painful and don't like the pleasant. But um, usually most of us operate uh, wanting the pleasant not and avoiding the painful. But whatever your your inclination is, it's still condition, a vipaka kama. And so our relationship to it is the spectator. So so enjoy the show, you know, whatever it is, what's ever going on, you know, it is, it's, 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 uh, it's like this, it can be pleasant or it can be miserable, but it is what it is. So is what it is, it's not, it's not a way of just kind of dismissing it, but reminding ourselves all conditions are impermanent. Our relationship to conditioned phenomena then is, is observing being the knower rather than the 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 personality that grabs that holds on to conditions, and as you end up trying to control and manipulate all the conditioned world, and you're going to fail at it. It's going to make you more miserable. It is a, no, this is a wisdom path that I'm talking about. So it's a discerning ability. It's not about judging or controlling. 
So wisdom means that we, we it take determination to cultivate wisdom. Uh, and that's in, in daily life, in what happens to you in daily life. Praise and blame, the eight worldly dhammas that, that uh, one experiences in daily life. So you have, you know, um, to be, have high status, to have uh, uh, good fortune, high status, uh, praise, and happiness. The four on the positive side. Then the other four worldly dhammas are their opposites. To, to have misfortune, uh, low status, uh, be uh, blamed, and have suffering, dukkha. So these eight worldly dhammas uh, in Thai, Lokatam Pat, that means that, that this is, uh, these are, Lumpur Chah used to always talk about these. Because this is what we experience in Sangha life, eight worldly dhammas. That it's always there's uh, always a praise and blame, happiness, suffering, uh, success and failure, getting what we want, not getting what we want. These eight worldly dhammas is the is the nature of the world of the conditioned realm. And so when when we and so that's why to make it fully conscious, the world is like this: eight worldly dhammas. They're dhammas to learn from. So, you know, like uh, having uh, good fortune or misfortune. Ajahn Chah would, would say, see them as equal. Good fortune is impermanent. Misfortune is impermanent. But be the knower. Good fortune is like this. Misfortune is like this. What do they teach? They both teach you Anicca Dukkanata. Good fortune teaches you about Anicca Dukkanata. Misfortune teaches you the same thing. They're all teaching you the same thing. Praise. People say you're a wonderful, great teacher, gift to, gift to the world. Or the next time they, you're, you're a demon, you're horrible, nasty, I'll never forgive you and hate you forever. Blame. And so then you, they, they both teach you the same thing. When you see them from the puto position, praise is like this, you see it, you observe it, you're not grasping it or denying it, but you're recognizing it's a condition. You feel, it makes you, for me, like praise makes me feel good, blame makes me feel angry. So praise, if you want to feel good, praise me, make me happy. If you want to make me unhappy, blame me. <laughs> my, my duty is not to tell you to spend your, your life here to praise me, to make me feel happy. Your duty is not to dedicate yourself to make, making me happy, but to, or to spend your life trying to sort me out and criticizing me, but observing, you know, how this, this, this form, this perception affects your consciousness. 
whether it's positive or negative, it is what it is. It all teaches you the same thing. All conditions are impermanent. Sapte Sankara Anicca. So that, that, that way everything is teaching us. It's not asking for special privileges or rewards or anything. We're not asking to be war- rewarded for being monks or nuns or being good people. Or if we do, if we feel we should be rewarded for that, we can see that as a condition. Seeing it in terms of, it is what it is, the condition and all conditions are impermanent, non-self. So then the ultimate, but what is that? And what is it that knows? This is the, this is the ultimate question, isn't it? And that's where, you know, this is, this, the enlightened consciousness doesn't mean personal. It's not about personal. Enlightenment. It's awareness itself, the simplicity of awakened attention. It's pure. It's not personal. It's one, you know, and they say oneness. Because on the sensual level, everything is, is different, isn't it? When we look at each other, we all seem so different. And, and the way we think, and, and everything's different on a conditioned plane. And so, you know, where's the oneness? What is it that at this very moment, sitting all of us in this temple room right now, where there is one rather than many people, And then I, I reflect, it's, it's this awareness. Consciousness with wisdom, with awareness, sati and banya. So this is like, and, and then you're informing consciousness, because consciousness, you can be stark raving mad and still be conscious. But now you're informing consciousness with wisdom. And that's what these teachings are about, like the Buddha's teachings, uh, Four Noble Truths, etc. The un, there is the unborn, uncreated. Therefore there is an escape from the born and the created. So what is the escape? Is awareness, isn't it? Awareness immediately as we, as we recognize. It's just simple, it's nothing uh, you know, it, look, it doesn't seem like anything on a worldly level. It has no value. You couldn't sell it in the marketplace. People usually think you're a bit crazy when you talk about it. You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's just not anything that has any qualitative, quantitative value or quality. It's not quality. It's not a quality. It's reality. It's real. So it's not just a belief in some, some theory. It's recognizable. Sati, the gate to the deathless is open. 
mindfulness path to the deathless. So then, the enlightenment isn't anything beyond anyone's ability or, you know, on a personal level, I, I can't see how my personality will ever get enlightened. After 43 years in a monastic life, my personality is still unenlightened. So if that was all I, uh, you know, if I was just trying to manipulate my personality, trying to make myself into an enlightened person, what a disappointment 43 years of monastic life would be. I missed out on all the fun. <laughs> you know, if, if, if my personality isn't trying to make my personality enlightened, I would be a, you know, a terrible disappointment and failure. So that's where the personality is, you know, it's, it's uh, a fetter. It's not, not try to get rid of it, but recognize the personality is not what you really are. You know, it's what, you know, it's just, it is what it is. Sometimes it's a nice personality, sometimes it's a terrible personality. And it depend and it changes. You can't sustain being nice all the time. You know, you got conditions change where you feel not nice. At least I do. Sometimes I don't feel very nice <laughs> on a personal level. But <laughs> fair enough. I don't expect my personality to be nice as a kind of ongoing ex experience. Because it changes. Personality is affected by other conditions beyond one's control. So, but that which is aware of the personality, Bhutto, that's why we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So in Bhutto, then, that's our, all of our refuge. We're a lay person, maybe lay people who have not practiced, you don't recognize how to use that word or, you know, how to apply it. But say, for, you know, it's a convention, a Buddhist convention. So we say Bhutang Sarnangachami. But internalize it, not just... Uh, something you say when, like Shirley, when she asked for the precepts, but it, you know, that's, a, that's a ceremonial version. But the encouragement is to internalize. What is puto now? Awakened attention, consciousness with wisdom. And this is, this is what we all have, this potential, this ability. You know, this is our human inheritance, the value of being born as a human being. This is why, you know, like what, you know, kind of 
lifts us out of the animal realm of just being a, you know, procreating and sleeping and eating realm. What What is it that brings us out of that just survival of the fittest world is our ability to reflect. Not our clever brains that can invent atomic bombs and so forth. That isn't it. It's this this reflective, this Buddha knowing the truth of the way it is, Dhamma, Sangha, as one who practices in the right way, Supatipano. Su means always, you know, what's right, good, true way. Patipat, who practices, who's actually applying this, cultivating this. Supatipat, it's not about me or you as a person. It's no longer personal. It's supatipano, ujapatipano, direct. Not about if I practice hard now, I'll become enlightened in the future. That's not supatipano. That's not ujupatipano. If I if I practice really hard now, I hope to become enlightened in the future. And you grasp that view, ujupatipano is direct. It's this awareness now. Recognizing and cultivating it. So in cultivating, it means, you know, this kind of determination in daily life to use whatever's happening to you, whether you're healthy or sickly, happy or miserable, uh, full of faith and inspiration or depressed and fed up, whatever, you know, is happening to you at this very moment. Supatipano is to, Ujupatipano sees it in terms of what it is. And it's learning to cultivate, to integrate this awareness so that it connects. It's a, it's a flow, it's a stream, it's a, it's something that, that it is with you all the time. You rest, you trust. Not as a person anymore, but as a supatipano, ujupatipano. So the, this vasa, uh, you have, you know, pe- you have time to periods where you have self-retreats and opportunities to to cultivate, investigate, inquire. You know, so that you really uh, know this in, in this direct way, an ujupatipano, rather than somebody that that. Uh, believes what others say or gets caught in your own doubts without recognizing what you're doing. So also the shrine, uh, notice the beautiful new shrine. I'm very pleased with it. John Groves is the, is the, the craftsman that I asked to build this. Ajahn Gandasilo helped get this thing going and so I sat in this front of this for 10 years now in front of a shrine I didn't like. So you can imagine what, you know, having to sit there and right in front like that. 
and thinking what to do about it. So usually I close my eyes and forget it. And then I began to get some, uh, I didn't have a clue of what to do, and then it beca began to uh, manifest. And then a place for Lung Pon Cha, as a kind of, uh, you know, the teacher that some of you have, remember, have met, and, uh, and some of you, he's only a, a, you know, some, something, you've heard about him, but he was, he was a great teacher. And so, out of gratitude, out of love, and then this, this, uh, figure of Lung Po Cha reminds me of uh, a good teacher, someone, you know, that you, one feels gratitude. Incredible gratitude to, uh, uh I feel towards Lung Po Cha because, uh, he was, uh, a really wise Buddhist monk who I was lucky enough to meet. So then these, these forms are, you know, for that reminder, to, to keep reminding ourselves of this. We forget. And the world pulls us back into its vortex of confusion, inevitably. You know, so this powerful, this sense realm that we're living in is, you know, it's overwhelming most of the time. You know, to be human, having a human body, as much as we have this ability for refuge and reflection, it's still, you know, such a, a sensitive state of being continuously from birth to death, incarcerated in this body, and it's so sensitive, and it's always something, you know, trying to protect it, clothe it, feed it, relieve its unpleasant feelings and on and on like that, it goes on and on relentlessly from birth to death. And then the pressures of a society, all the shoulds and shouldn'ts, what's right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. And we're all educated, most of us are educated in the information age, we've acquired so much knowledge and we have so many views, opinions. And all this, this, you know, can, makes us terribly confused because it's, it's, uh, the condition realm is, is at its peak right now, a kind of total kind of everything available for any, almost anyone at any time. And then the pressures of the sense realm and planetary life. And then Mars and Venus and Jupiter and Saturn. Pluto, and who knows what beyond those are playing and having a big influence on how I'm feeling at this moment on the condition level. But in terms of the here and now, then reminding Pluto here and now, awaken sound of silence. Then uh, everything comes into, you know, then, then I can deal with whatever I have to in the present. I, can, I can't cope with the whole universe. 
I mean, most of it I don't even know about. But I mean, even Amravati is too much for me personally. <laughs> so if, <laughs> if I didn't have this refuge, you know, it'd be really difficult. Even being a monk would be difficult because it, you know, it would. It's too complicated. Even with Dhammavinya, all that, it's too complicated. And so in terms of awareness, then it, that's where we find the refuge. And that's to be budgetang, to be realized individually. You have to recognize it. So I offer this for your reflection.